I'm pumped to be back with you. I was at a conference this week, the Catalyst Conference. I've gone to that a few times over the last decade, uh, and I'm going to be sharing some stories from it this week. But if you have a Bible, open it to Esther chapter 4 as we continue our three-week teaching series called The Butterfly Chronicles. We've been looking at stories in Scripture as well as in our church of people who have had their lives radically changed by Jesus. And so if you're here, it's like your first time in church in years. Welcome. We started this church for you. We really believe nobody's too far from God experienced a life change through Jesus. We're going to read this morning about the Esther, a woman who will impact her culture, the city of Susa, her entire generation of Jewish people, and I believe makes an impact that is still felt today in our churches. And my hope and desire is that through the story of Esther and through the story of Dennis Whitaker, uh, that you're going to have your life impacted this morning in, in a beautiful way. We called it the Butterfly Chronicles because, you know, this caterpillar goes through this, what I can only imagine is a painful metamorphosis of the cocoon stage into this beautiful creature, uh, the butterfly. And that for many of us that you've known about Jesus, but you've never been transformed by his power, our goal these three weeks together is to study how people have seen that occur. So as you turn to Esther chapter four, I got to tell you, I was at this conference and I've noticed something that's different over the last 10 years of going to conferences or places like this. I'm in a place like 10,000 pastors and leaders from all over the country. Some of the best speakers in our churches in the world today, literally in the world today, were there speaking at this conference. And I looked around and I'll be honest, I gave into this a little bit too. I looked around and I would see throughout the, the entire two days together, there would be pastors and leaders as this phenomenal speaker is on the stage. And what do you think that they were doing? They'd be looking at that phone, right? Some of you do this. You got this incredible speaking going on. I was guilty a couple times. I'm sitting there and they're looking at their phone, checking their email and their text messages, responding to Instagram and Snapchat posts. Hey, look, I'm at Catalyst while the speaking is going on. It's, it's funny, you know, I, I just like you guys know I love technology, and we stay so busy and so connected in our culture today that we often miss opportune times where God could really use us and speak to us. In fact, uh, you know, the technology, I feel like it gets worse and worse. And when we landed at the airport and we had to get in a car, how many of you, Eric Maitland better raise his hand, would have no idea where to go if you did, Siri did not exist? Come on. Some of you out there, now Siri, she didn't just have like the British accent, you can have a male speaker, ours was in Australian accent as we're trying to find our place in Atlanta, Georgia. We're driving around and we finally get to the location or I would have been completely lost. Here's how bad it is, like my son, I love my son, he's awesome and he's the greatest son in the world, I got two of them that are the greatest in the world, actually three, but he, uh, he's seven years old and a couple weeks ago, we took Pastor Glenn, who spoke here, wasn't he awesome, uh, out to lunch at Scotty's Brewhouse. And while we were there, he asked if he could play the phone. And I was like, there's a lot of business. I got two other kids. I need a babysitter right now. Yes, you may have the phone. So he takes the phone that is his babysitter, and he begins to play Pokemon Go in the restaurant. <laughs> He's like, Dad, I got to go catch this Poke, whatever thing. And so he starts walking around the restaurant trying to catch the pokey, and this is totally true. He's walking back towards us, and we think he's coming to sit with us, but no, he's looking at the phone, and Lisa goes, Jake, Jake, and he just full-on runs, 
head first into a brick wall. Because <laughs> he's playing Pokemon Go on his phone. Like we are enamored with it. I want to use that as a metaphor this morning and some of us, whether it's technology or just the busyness you find yourself in, that we often miss the most defining moments in our lives because we can't be peace-minded enough to see where God is leading. Some of us just need to put the phones down this morning. Metaphorically, not just literally, because I know so. My, my friend in the back, man, he was prepping for this sermon. He was playing games on the iPad in the back. Yeah, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't mind it during the message, but metaphorically this morning, I want to ask you, what does it look like? We are often defined by the moments when our circumstances intersect our influence. You can tweet that out this morning. That part's okay. We are often defined by the moments when our circumstances intersect our influence, but we miss those opportunities because we're so busy taking the kids to soccer practice, trying to please our bosses, and everything else our chaotic society brings our way. In Esther chapter 4, Esther will be defined by a moment where she used her influence to intersect what was happening in their society and she almost missed it. She almost missed it. It took a man named Mordecai to speak into it. Here we go. Esther, chapter four, beginning in verse one. You ready to study God's word this morning, church, because I'm going to be reading quickly. It goes like this. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Mordecai in this story is the older cousin of Esther, Esther, by chapter four, has become queen, and we'll talk later how she became queen. Mordecai is essentially the spiritual leader and the one who's providing guidance for Esther during this time. And he's sad because there was this evil guy named Haman who wanted to annihilate the Jewish people, and so he bribes some officials, and he gets the king to sign an edict that any Jewish person who wouldn't bow first to the Persian king before their God would be killed. And so Mordecai is just wailing and crying out to God in this passage because of that edict. Verse 2, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him. Put some clothes on, man, to put on instead of his sackcloth but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathix, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathix went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, the capital of Persia, which was reigning over the Jewish people who no longer had their land at this time, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. 
but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. She said, you're going to get me killed. Verse 12. These are the famous verses in Esther, the entire book of Esther, verses 12 to 14. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. This morning on a spiritual level, I'd like to tell you that I often think for myself at least, I live in an American society, the wealthiest culture in human history, live in the northern part of Indianapolis, the wealthier part of the entire state. While there are many financial hardships represented in all of our services this morning, most of us have it a thousand percent better than most of the rest of the human beings around the world. And I often think that in my cushy world where I'm concerned about whether or not my kids get an awesome school experience or the best school experience, there are people that don't even get educated. And maybe he has placed us in this moment, in this time, in this place, just like he placed Esther to say, how could I use what I've been entrusted with for such a time as this? Verse 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Do not think that we are that important. God will see his plan fulfilled. It's whether or not we get to be a part of it, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther said this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Or as Rocky Four said, if I die, I die. You guys got that at this service. I'm glad. Got like one laugh, last service. So Mordecai went and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Will you pray with me? Wow, God, Esther in this passage is willing to put her life on the line. There are many of us today that we don't feel very influential, and yet you've entrusted us with much. There are those of us that will be in these services this morning that know you have given us a particular platform and influence and some very great in our churches. And God, may you teach us this morning how to utilize what we have been entrusted with to make an eternal impact, to change a generation for you. Just as you use Esther to change the course of human history, you might use us. God, we acknowledge your presence here. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. I love the book of Esther. What an important message to us today in our culture, in our society, about how we could use what we've been entrusted with to impact a generation. You got to understand what was really going on here. The Persian king, this was like the height of the Persian empire. For the Jewish person in 586 BC, the uh, the, well, actually, 721 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, and in 586 BC, the Babylonians invade the southern kingdom. And by this period of time, Persia's taken over everything. And they're very powerful and wealthy. And basically, the king, in his third year, things were going so well in Persia, he throws a big party. And for like days, they are eating and drinking alcoholic beverages, and they are enjoying themselves. And then the king's like, hey, I'm feeling good. My guys are feeling good. I want to impress them. Bring out Queen Vashti, this beautiful woman. I'm going to show them how beautiful she is. And, and Queen Vashti says, no, you guys all been drinking. I'm not going in there. And he gets rid of her. And this horrible thing happens. 
And so the king says, well, I'm going to hold a beauty contest. I'm going to find the fairest lady in the land, and I'm going to make her another queen for me. And so he finds this young Jewish woman living in Susa named Esther, and she will become queen. And Mordecai, her cousin, is not living in the palace with him, but living separately. And it all begins really with that party where things are just getting crazy. And it represents for me sometimes when things are good in our lives and we often miss what's really surrounding. I mean, at this time, he's got all the food, they're having a feast, the drinks are happening, right? Like all of a sudden, Jay-Z and Beyonce show up. The music is thumping. People have a good time. Braun makes an appearance. People are tweeting this out on social media, right? Corey Feldman even shows up and does some dance moves for everyone. People keep getting real excited. Uh, you haven't seen that, but he's like, dances like Michael Jackson, right? No, not really. But I love, I love Corey Feldman. Anyway, some of you got that, like three of you. We've got more of that at the last service. I'll scratch that for the next service, and then you guys got the other joke. But you can picture what's happening here. Like, people are having a good time. He switches queens because she doesn't want to dance, and now... This woman, this young girl, really, finds herself as queen of Persia with all this power and authority where that kind of environment is happening, where they got everything at their fingertips. And she's just meant to please the king, and that's it. To do what she does in this passage is not only countercultural, not only putting her life at stake, it's insane. It's insane. And I think in our churches today, we could learn a lot from a passage like this. You see, even the hater, Haman, that rises up here and gets this edict against the Jewish people to annihilate them all, that even the hater at the end will see the power and authority that God has over any king this world has ever seen. Over any power and authority. And what I'd like to share with you this morning, real quick, and we're going to move fast at this part, get your pen ready, your iPad out, if you want to take notes, just, uh, yeah, don't be playing games or whatever, but you get your iPad out, if you're taking notes, uh, you can do whatever you want, because I'm going to move fast. What it took for Esther to transform here was what I believe many of us have to experience to become people who don't just know about Jesus, but actually live on mission for him. The first one is this, that Esther needed a Mordecai in her life. It was in verses one and two that Mordecai, not Esther, is the one crying out and interceding on behalf of the Jewish people to the Lord. Praying, fasting, saying, God, what are you doing? Help us. It's in verses six through eight that Mordecai will be the one who speaks to, the, to Esther now that she is queen and says, you gotta do something about this. He is the one that communicates to her what's occurring. Not Esther herself. You see, I think that for many of us, I've never seen somebody truly have their life dramatically transformed without some type of Mordecai in their life. When I, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know what to do. Maybe you've been there. I know how to read the Bible. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so I went and found a youth. Actually, I got connected with a youth pastor in that community, and I would just meet with him once a week, and I'd ask my questions. We have discipleship huddles here that are very intentional um, it's not a program, you can't sign up for it, and within the next couple of years, we're going to be reaching probably a thousand people or more in intentional discipling relationships. It's awesome. But you don't have to get to that point to find a Mordecai. Like, find somebody who's been Christian longer and ask them to speak in your life. And, and I want to talk to the other side of that coin for a second. Some of you, you, got, you are Mordecais out there. Like, you've been in church for decades, 
I know some of you. <laughs> you come in and you sit every week. You love the Lord. You study your Bible. You raise hands when we worship. You clap on the beat, right? But you are not investing in what God is doing in the world. You, you know what it's like to know him and you're not sharing that wisdom with anybody else. You've got no Esthers that you're pouring into. You may not be Billy Graham, but you may invest in one person who becomes the next Billy Graham. What does that look like in your life? Some of you, Mordecai, if you stepped up and began to say, I want to take a greater role in what God is doing. I want to, I want to invest in a local church. I want to use my talents and abilities to serve others. Maybe you even say, I want to become an outpost leader that, if you don't know this, we see ourselves as a community of missional communities called outposts that come together for worship. And you'll hear this morning how we have empowered our outposts to truly lead within their community, that we are not simply a staff-driven church. And you're going to hear all the cool mission that is happening because of that. We need more Mordecais stepping up and doing something about it. I wonder sometimes if our Heavenly Father looks at us looks at us and look like I often do with my kids. Any parents out there that can identify with, they come and they're like have trash that they know that needs to be thrown away and they come and they hand it to me. Any parents out there? Like, why are you handing me your trash? I'm not a trash compactor. I can't do anything like take the trash and put it in the trash can. That's where the trash goes. I bet I got it tough like 87 times. I have told you, just pick the trash, put the trash can. Why are you handing it to me? Some of us out there, I want, I thought if our heavenly father is like raising you up as the next Mordecai to impact a generation for people and you're just soaking it all in, soaking it all in. He's like, I prepared you and you just keep bringing everything back to him and go, I want to use you. Do what I've asked you to do. Invest in those around you. Use the time that you have been given because life is short. Life is short. See, Esther, in this passage, she is faced with some difficult uh, circumstances. You see, you know, some of you sitting out there, you know you should care about the impoverished people in the world. You know you should care about racial inequality, something we've talked about often in our church, and that our churches today should be a representative of heaven, diverse both uh, ethnically, socioeconomically, and in every facet and we want to empower uh, change to occur. You know that you should care about lost souls. You know you should care about spiritual apathy in our culture and our society. You know these things, you've heard it for years, but you don't do anything about it. You don't do anything about it, I get it. Because we're busy. I gotta take the kid to basketball practice and then I got the games. He's got a game at two o'clock today. And then I gotta check my phone for I don't know what, but I'm gonna spend at least 60 minutes on it today doing something right? I'm so busy. And we miss out on these defining moments where our passions and our giftedness intersects our society to use our influence and platform to impact a generation. Mordecai here got it. Number two, if you're taking notes, Esther needed unfortunate circumstances. I don't like that one. I pray against that one. I really do. Many of you know our story that... Um, some of the greatest experiences I've ever happened, uh, had was when I put myself in an uncomfortable situation. You've been there? When God called us to plant a church, it was this radical thing. Even though I grew up in Indiana, my wife's from Southern California, I was living out there for the last seven years, and we moved across the country going, Lord, what are you doing? And it was because of that that 
God put us, made us uncomfortable enough that we began to reach unchurched people and care about them and what was going on in their lives. And we saw people have their lives be transformed by Jesus. And it was in the middle of that that our son, who was unborn, had a genetic disorder. Many of you know this story. He was born, he lived two weeks and died most horrible thing I've ever gone through in my life. And I honestly, I pray, God, give me the type of life change I experienced when I went through that with my son, but don't ever make me go through something like that again because I don't want to do it again. Yet in this passage with Esther and in many of our lives, God often uses terrible, unfortunate, horrible circumstances. In this case, I'm gonna, he's, it's being, an edict is made that he's going to annihilate, not God, this king is going to annihilate all of the Jewish people. And it's in that circumstance that God allows Esther and her influence to rise to the top. And she almost missed the opportunity if Mordecai hadn't been speaking into her life. Esther needed unfortunate circumstances. Look at verses 12 to 14 with me. You see, Mordecai had shared this with her that I read earlier. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your families, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, a time in our society where culture is hurting and we are called to be the peacemakers. That's what Jesus commanded us to be. A time in our society where we have been given the gift of the Spirit of God. We've been entrusted with certain things. We're in the wealthiest culture in human history, and we're here on the north side of Indianapolis in Hamilton County, and God has given us certain abilities and platforms and influence to impact our generation. We are the ones called to do that. Where else is it going to come from? We look to so many other things for it, but the Bible asks that it comes from us, but most of us feel like we don't have any influence. Esther didn't ask to be queen. She didn't even probably want to be queen. She didn't ask for the platform. Some of you didn't ask for the talents and abilities and the influence you've been given, but you were given it. Some of you feel like the video I'm, we're gonna watch in a second, you have no influence, you've got no talents and abilities, and you're wrong. You see, maybe you're out there this morning and you didn't ask to be popular or intelligent or wealthy or attractive or athletic or organized or handy or well-spoken or a natural parent or creative or passionate or a leader of leaders. You didn't ask for it, but God made you that way. He made you that way. Esther will be defined by how her influence changes her circumstances. You have a platform, whether big or small. How will you use it for Jesus in the short life you've been given? We're going to watch uh, a video interview. It's about four minutes long from Dennis Whitaker. And most of you uh, may not know Dennis, but he has been a huge part of our church. We're actually sitting in this room right now because he volunteered hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of extra hours to oversee the hundreds of volunteers that helped with the renovation of this facility. And you're going to hear... About a decade ago, he thought his, his life was more valuable if he no longer existed. Let's watch this interview together, and then we'll get to the last point. Good morning, Mercy Road. I'm here with Dennis Whitaker. We are on the second week of the Butterfly Chronicle series. Last week, you had a chance to hear from Tenoria, and this week, we get to hear from Dennis, how the story that God's been writing in his life. But before we get started um, with that, I just had a few quick questions for you, Dennis. Get to know you a little bit here. First of all, if you had to pick your favorite boy band, would it be Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Boys to men. Boys to men. 
for Halloween this year, um, if you had to pick between Teletubbies, Ninja Turtles, and Josh Hoosman, who would you be? I would go with a Ninja Turtle. I certainly do. would not want to be Josh and have to stand up in front of <laughs> everybody. That would be terrifying. Yeah, I agree. That's why, luckily, we're doing this video. Yes. So, for real, one of the questions that we wanted to ask you today is what your life looked like before becoming a Christian. My life was, was actually really good, but I took credit for all of it, had no uh, belief that God or anybody else was involved. It was all, all my doing. Yeah. Looking back on it now, I see the error in my ways. What would you say changed in your life when you became a Christian? I started to live for Christ's purpose, not my own. I um, gave up thinking that it was me that was doing all the good things in life, that I knew that I was not capable of doing them, that it was God who was in charge, and I just left over and put God in charge. And Really, uh, I did not become a Christ follower, really, until after I had a stroke. I was a very realistic resistant to following God and um, I was basically broken to the point where I knew that I wasn't capable of doing anything anymore. I was not able to feed myself. I couldn't go to the restroom. I couldn't do anything and I was told that I'd never be able to go back to work, that um, I was probably going to die. I'd asked to see my kids and I was told that I would be dead before they got to the hospital. That was when I kind of said, all right. I had always been so reluctant to even be baptized. I had, had been in a relationship with God, but it was an adversarial relationship. He was leading me and pulling me to, to follow him and to be baptized. And I had basically resisted and said, you know, God, I will never be baptized. I will never go in front of a crowd and say that, you know, I'm a Christ follower. And here I am. Um, how have you learned to use the gifts that God's given you to make a kingdom impact in your life? Well, when I first got out of the hospital, I was really not capable of doing anything. I was really pretty angry with God that He made me survive. I felt like the only way for my family to be successful was if they were to be able to cash in my life insurance. I wasn't sure how my kids were going to get fed, so I was worried about providing food for them and how that was going to work out. Our church had a summer lunch program where they fed kids that would not necessarily get meals when school was out. So I started working in the summer lunch program with a wonderful lady and we did that for about three years. Is that right? Yeah, we fed about 4,000 kids over, over that three years every summer. From doing that I started to build some self-confidence and I also saw that, you know what, I may not be capable of anything that I thought I could do, but God saw things that I could do and you know I felt good about what I was doing, and that's kind of where I learned to start to trust God that you know He's got this. You know, leave Him in charge, let Him do His thing, and you just follow Him. Yeah. What do you do during the day, and what would you share with someone who's considering using their gifts and their platform for God the way that Esther did? Well, I have a, a small handyman business that I've had for about 20 years now, and I do all kinds of remodeling work and things like that. Um, I unfortunately am not able to go out and do that work anymore, so I just estimate and meet with people, and, mm -hmm. which is really kind of weird because I don't, you know, I've always been so shy and did not really want to be around people. So, you know, I think the thing that everybody needs to understand is that everybody has their own talents and that God can use you no matter what you think your talents are. Find something that you're passionate about and go to work in it and God will make, make a way for it to happen. Dennis, thank you so much for everything you do for us here at Mercy Road and everything you're doing around the city. It's incredible the story that God's telling through your life. So at this point, we will hand it back to you, Josh. 
Isn't that cool? I know Dennis is at this service. You want to wave, Dennis? He's right over there. Thank you for your work and all that God is using you to do. And I'm excited to call Dennis friend as we've done so much ministry together over the last couple of years. He was here yesterday volunteering to lead our facility team. Thank you, those on the facility team that continue to help keep everything up. We are not a staff-driven church. We are a people-driven church. And one of the things I love was in the last couple of months, I think, right, Dennis, you've literally baptized six people, four of your own grandkids and two of their friends, right, in the very baptism tank that he helped volunteer to install for us. And a decade ago, he wasn't sure if his life was more valuable dead than alive. Did you catch that? I think so many times we don't feel like we have that much to offer. Or if we have a platform and influence, we don't really know if it really matters that much because really what could you do that would change things? And the Bible is full of stories like Dennis, like Esther, like Mordecai, of people who simply took whatever gifts they had. Dennis was handy, he was a contractor, he was good at that stuff. And he's been able to impact a generation for all eternity. You see, the third and final point, we can know about these things. We can find a Mordecai. We can worship together regularly. We can find unfortunate circumstances that we're placed in. But if we don't do something, if we don't take action, it's all for nothing. Esther needed to take action. I don't believe her beauty was completely realized until the internal catches up with the external. And that's what happens in chapter 4. Look at verses 15 to 17 with me. At the end, she hears this from Mordecai, and she actually does something in response. She could have missed out on the opportunity to impact an entire generation. She could have gone the easy route, which most of us did, said, hey, I'm too busy. I've, I've got all these responsibilities that I've got, and I could get harmed. But instead, what she does here in this passage, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She doesn't even care anymore. Like, God, you are the most important thing in my life. Use what I have been entrusted with to actually make an eternal impact. In this case, save the annihilation of the Jewish people. And they will have a festival of Purim that they will celebrate even to this day. And it all happens right here in this moment where her influence intersects her circumstances. When you head out this morning at the Connect Center, I want you to pick these up because this is full of people in our church right now, our list of all, I don't know, it's like 15 different outposts, communities on mission throughout uh, the metropolitan area here. And I talk to more people who are gonna be starting new ones. And maybe there's some Mordecai's you wanna step up and influence a generation, you can do that very thing. And it's full of people who get passionate about making an impact and want to do something and take action with their life. They share food together. They worship together. They study the Bible together. They pray together. But then they talk about how can we actually make an impact with the short time we've been given, allow our time, talents, and treasures to impact a generation. Let me give you some stories. All right. Dennis, you just saw, he's in the Indy Northwest outpost. They actually said, hey, we're going to partner with this particular apartment complex, and we're just going to invest into the families that are there. They did a community garden there. There's actually a person on staff now that helps uh, invest in that community. 
They meet in the clubhouse of the apartment complex. They got donated 40-some bikes from Walmart, and they gave them out to all the students in the community. So if you go there, you can see brand-new bikes from Walmart through this whole apartment complex. It's awesome. And through that, they have seen a number of people come to Christ. There's a bunch of high school students from that apartment complex, I think, that are down at Spring Hill Camps right now with all our high school ministry, having the time in their lives, hearing from Jesus. And some of them are here right now in this service because of that. How cool is that? And the Indy Northwest Outpost has said, we're going to love on a community. That's it. That's it. We're just going to do something with what we've been given. Wrestling theology. Some of you guys know this story. Rich Abbott <laughs> came to Christ, and he's like, I really love wrestling, and I want to make some new friends. And so they get together. They watch WWE, and they talk about their faith. And actually, right here, a week and a half ago, they took all these chairs out. They put a wrestling ring in this room, and they had a, an event. And then Pastor Darren got up and presented the gospel with Rich Abbott. At the, How cool is that? There, there's another outpost the, that is partnered with Significant Marriage Outpost. They want to see healthy marriages and families here in our church. And so they have partnered with Significant Marriage Outpost and we are Significant Marriage Ministry and we're hosting the seminar this coming weekend, Friday night through Sunday, next weekend. My wife and I have been through it. It's awesome. If you've never been to one of these things or you haven't done it in years, guys, you got to invest in your marriages. This is an easy, simple way to do it. You can actually fill out a Connect card, or you could do it's even easier. Look in your program, and it gives you the link, and you're going to register online. It's real simple. But some of you, I know guys, you're like, dude, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about my feelings. You need to go. You need to do the tough stuff so that you can actually see God use your marriage in significant ways. The Carmel Home Place Outpost, they're donating, getting clothes donated through Goodwill. Goodwill's giving money to Dayspring, which helps inner city youth right here in Indianapolis. That's happening this morning out in the lobby. That's why we got a Goodwill truck parked out there. The Mercy Fest Outpost, they're going all over the state to uh, put on outreach events to tell people about Jesus. Eric and the band go help do these events. The Climb Bubs help, right? It's awesome. And they're chasing their dreams for Jesus. They're the Keystone Outposts, the Broad Ripple Outposts, a number of them are helping with homeless ministry to try and make an impact as well through Food for Souls and other places. Dotted Line Divas got started through an outpost and now they minister to all kinds of single moms and people in the home place community on the south side of Carmel. All of these things I described, none of them were run by staff people. We didn't have to hire somebody to see this stuff happen. We just empowered people to say, we're going to help you. You can apply for matching grants for thousands of dollars to actually see these things occur. We've set money aside so that you can do that. We must no longer be run by people on stages and with microphones, but by the people of God living on mission in their community. Mordecai just tells Esther, you've got the opportunity to use your influence and make an impact. Do something. And because she steps out in faith, actually risking her own life, which you don't even have to do in our society, she actually impacts an entire generation and saves them. And in the end, Haman is the one that meets his demise, not them. You were created for more than just a nine to five and chasing your own personal empire. We need to stop building our empires, put our cell phones down, start paying attention to what's going on in our society. 
and live out the mission of Jesus Christ that we have been empowered with. We can no longer cower in fear over whether we're going to make the right or wrong choice. Are we going to waste our time? Are we going to make the impact we want to or succumb to our insecurities? Or we, we could actually live out empowered, spirit-driven lives in our culture, in society today. It's because that has been occurring over the last five years of the church that we're seeing God actually impact a generation. So listen to me. Pew sitters, I love you. We don't even have pews, and I love you. You're awesome. Thank you for coming to our church. You need to sit there for years because God is healing you. I get it. But at some point, if you don't get to the point where you say, God has placed me at this particular place and time to use what he's entrusted me with to actually do something, you are missing out. And the defining moments in your world are passing you by. And you will never reach the potential that God sees in you. There are hurting people and angry people and alone people and hopeless people. Join the adventure of following Jesus with us to impact our culture. I'll end with this. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. The scriptures teach that you would do even greater things because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. You have the authority and the power of Jesus Christ on your life as a follower of Jesus that you could actually make an impact. Let's not waste that opportunity. Let our influence intersect our circumstances and see God make an impact. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I am fired up this morning because I know, I know there are people in here right now that you have been speaking to them in their lives long before they came in here that you have entrusted with a particular level of influence in this life. That they've been spoken to by a Mordecai to actually do something and they have the choice of whether to respond that there are some Mordecai sitting out there that is wasting the wisdom that they've been given over these decades, Lord Jesus, instead of making an impact. That there are those who are going through those unfortunate circumstances right now, and it's so horrible and terrible, and it is cry out to you just as Mordecai did, and you respond, Jesus. You say you will do far greater things through us than you even did, and so do that now, God, in our culture, in our society. Raise up followers and leaders for Jesus today, saying, I will use whatever you've given me. I will use even the horrible circumstances I find myself in sometimes, and I'm gonna impact a generation to know you, because this life is short, and I want my time, talents, and treasures, and spiritual gifts to actually make an impact that goes far beyond my days on this planet. And so if that's you here this morning, that you want to not just know about Jesus and not just know if you were in heaven, but actually be somebody who lives on mission for him, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that right now. There are people in this room right now, God, that you are calling to leave this country and go as a missionary to another place around the world. And not enough are responding to that today. And we are scared to death of doing it. And if that's you here in the room, because you can think of all the reasons not to respond to him now, respond to him as Esther responded in this moment. Then there are those of us who have entrusted with particular things right here in our society, in our culture. We know we can make an impact. We know we could, but we're afraid. God, we put our fear aside, our insecurities, our busyness, even our cell phones. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us. If that is you, say, God, I want to be a mission-driven follower of you, Lord. I will no longer be just a person who sits in a seat 
and knows about you. I will be somebody who lives out fully for you. Use our church, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We give you this church. We give you our communities. May you use us with other churches to impact a generation. Hear our prayers. We respond to you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray and all God's family said, amen.